tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hey folks, I just want to really quick give you a heads up about a couple of content warnings for things that come up in this episode that you wouldn't necessarily expect based on the stuff that's in the chapters. So at two different points, we have conversations about like meal replacements and eating and food that could potentially be triggering to folks for a variety of reasons. And we also have an extended conversation about poaching, specifically about elephants and ivory. So the minutes to skip for all of that will be in the show notes. And if that's something that you need to do, I encourage you to check that so that you can keep yourself safe. All right, let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches talk about the regular Simon Snow universe where the sad things live. (laughs) I am Lark Malachi Gray. (laughs) And I am Jesse Blount. And man, never have truer words been spoken about this this year's string of chapters. (laughs) I want to go back to zine land. Uh, anyway, uh, we are talking about chapters 48, 49, and 50 of Carry On. Now, Jesus, we are talking about chapters 48, 49, and 50 of, oh my God, what book is this? Wayward Son. Of Wayward Son, a thing that I totally know. And we start off with Penny, who is basically like, we're already doing a lot of crime. Might as well order mood service. Which mood? Um, Simon and Bass have both took taken off separately, even though Penny begs Simon to stay put. The overwhelming danger that they're all in, Agatha included, makes her emotional, but at least Shepard is still around. And there's breakfast. We found out that Shepard has always had a bit of a danger kink since he used to be a tornado chaser. Not a euphemism, Penny. <laughs> uh, Penny doesn't approve of this or his jump to the bigger thrill of, of chasing magic. In fact, it freaks her the fuck out for him and normals in general to know about magic exactly because of what they now know is happening with the now next. Um, in the course of this argument, Penny realizes that she can use a photo of Agatha and her lovely assistant Shepard for magical tracking. Chapter 49. Agatha is still Braden's prisoner and he wants to talk to her like they're friends, even though the whole kidnapped and medical experiments thing is not what friends do. Agatha is not here to play that game. 50. Bass is having a little bit of a crisis after his adventure with Lamb the night before. He's never had human blood, only animal, and he's like, always killed the animal, but what if? Maybe drinking human blood isn't some can only eat one chip thing. (laughs) The whole what if of this is frustrating, but he has no more time to ruminate because Penny gives him more counterfeit bills to go look nice for his next vampire date with Lamb. Baz feels bad for stealing and feels worse when he gets back to the hotel and Simon is gone. Thankfully, though, Simon has just gone to get an expensive haircut and it's time to meet with Lamb. Lamb, at this very nice Thai food restaurant, is 
very sus about Baz's interest in Next Now because the vampires of Vegas are against them. They share a nice meal because Lamb helps Baz control his fang boners, something Baz himself has not attempted in the past. After all this, and finding out that Baz is really his age and not like over a hundred, Lamb, get, Lamb gives him the lowdown about Now Next, aka Next Blood. Basically, a bunch of rich tech people, mostly dudes, found out about vampires and in true tech bro fashion treated it like a startup. Regular vampires don't like turning people on demand, but some did for Next Blood and now Next Blood is turning other rich tech people, ignoring vampire mores and traditions to pretend that they are the next level of being or some shit. Lamb is suspicious of Baz because New Blood doesn't even drink blood, they inject it into their veins. Baz buys and eats a rabbit to prove otherwise, and Lamb believes Baz to be mostly what he says he is. And Baz begs Lamb to help him find Agatha. Yep. Uh, just a reminder that this is a fully spoiled podcast, this book and the next. Um, and we are going to enter Easy Come, Easy Go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. I have only two things here. Um, my first one is that we learned that magical artifacts are so scarce in Penny's family that her sister had to be given a new wand, the first we've ever heard of a new magical item, but also her brother got stuck with a monocle. This is excellent news. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love how we can fit sexy monocles into our discussion. Into our discussion, and I know Penny feels bad, but I'm like, uh, having a magical monocle sounds cool as fuck. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> amazing. Also, someone in Penny's family legacy was clearly an incredible queer dandy who was like, you know what, I want my magic item to be a monocle, and. Yeah. That person is my spiritual kin. Yeah, that person sure is. <laughs> uh, I love the bit of Penny snobbery about having to buy a magic insert from the store because I'm like, I guess we're assuming that mm, that the like magical focus, the magical artifacts get better with age. But I'm like, they, they had to be brought somewhere unless you're out making it, which we never get anything about the hows and whys of the magical instruments that the people use to do magic so yeah i'm not sure if it's snobbery or if it is because we have all this stuff about how like maybe you know they they don't know that simon's wand is actually a family heirloom because no one knows he's related to the mage and like a lot of people speculate that his magic is wonky because his magical instrument isn't inherited so i think there must be you know, deep magic tied up in. And I assume that I don't, we don't know which sibling it is that has the new wand, but I guess it automatically becomes an heirloom if your parents buy it for you. It's, you know, but still it doesn't, it's not steeped in like generations of magicalness. You know what? I, you know what I'm, it also sort of, this sort of reminds me of mm. like the difference between a like really well used leather jacket or pair of jeans versus like a new pair where it's like broken in it's all like soft you know versus like new leather and new denim is like they ha it has to be like broken in <laughs> yeah <laughs> essentially which is oftentimes a very 
not very aesthetically pleasing period of time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great uh, metaphor. Um. All right. So I want to. So Baz mentions that once Lamb coaxes him through putting his fangs back that he's like I haven't eaten without cutting the inside of my like cheek in so long and I'm like into that point you're like oh I didn't like you don't think about how hard it would be to like chew regular food with like needle sharp fangs Mm -hmm. (laughs) that like aren't really built for that (laughs) yeah and I'm like oh poor bass I know I know yeah yeah it's tragic. That whole scene is tragic. I know. Um, my one other thing here is that I'm just so glad that Baz got his mom's scarf back. I know. It's so nice. <laughs> yeah. It made me so happy. All right. Uh, I'm going to try to keep this short because I have already other rants to talk about. But the way that Lamb talks about the way the new blood vampires eat is... Similar to how I feel about the product Soylent, which mm-hmm. is essentially like a Weight Watcher shake for tech bros. Mm-hmm. And part of the marketing around it is like, you're too busy to eat. You need to eat. You can just drink this and like keep keep going about your day. And I'm like, way to suck all the joy out of eating food. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, slash other maybe not so great reasons why you would want to just skip eating meals but i'm like how how is this a thing that is beneficial right (laughs) like what why would you you too busy to eat (laughs) and i'm just like lamb is a snob but i'm like i i agree (laughs) about why new bloods about why the next blood people suck (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we got we got an email being like, please stop acting like there's nothing wrong with vampires eating people, even if they don't kill them. So I want to acknowledge that. Thank you for being like, hey, they're still violating people's consent. That's bad. You're correct. Um, so like, on one hand, I kind of appreciate them being like, sourcing their blood maybe more ethically. But like, at the very least... Heated up in the microwave and drinking out of a Kiss the Librarian mug. You know? Right? You can still enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Especially because they also have to eat food anyway. Right. You can mix in some Weetabix, give it some texture. <laughs> I was about to say, just like pour it over some like bucatini, like call it good. I don't know, grate some Parmesan. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <sighs> Welcome to I See a Little Silhouetto of a Man, where we talk about character development. It makes so much sense that Shepard chased tornadoes before chasing magic. Yeah, like, yeah, that is some danger kink, adrenaline junkie shit right there. And I was like, oh, of course you did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Especially because for folks that don't know, uh, Kansas is smack dab in the middle of what is colloquially called tornado alley 
uh, the part of the United States that is pretty flat geographically and for whatever reason prone to tornadoes. I didn't look it up mm-hmm. why, but it it just is. So like. He's from Nebraska. Oh, right? sorry. Nebraska is above Kansas. Did I say Kansas? Nebraska is also in Tornado yes. Alley. But... Nebraska, just like a giant stripe in the middle of the country of like square states. And Nebraska is one of those states. So yeah, it makes sense to yeah. me that he had, had some friends and they would just go like out his truck chasing tornadoes. Yeah. I mean, it's not really... I mean, it's maybe more dangerous than some of the ways that I like, you know, got my teenagerness out, but not like a lot more. I mean, <laughs> I've seen Twister. It seems pretty dangerous. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Uh, which I bet Shepard definitely watched and was like, "Oh, that looks cool as fuck." <laughs> yeah, definitely. As opposed to that, looks terrifying as hell. I think mine maybe put me more in danger of like getting in legal trouble, whereas Shepard's maybe put him more in danger of uh, dying. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Though I guess arguably having sold his soul and his first three born children, I'm kind of like... <laughs> yeah, I don't think what he's doing now is any safer, <laughs> honestly. Not. It's just dangerous no. in different ways. Yeah, and like <sighs> Penny, you know... I think it's really interesting that she's like, that sounds that sounds a lot like being around Simon when he was still magical. So she's, I mean, I think she's got some like holier than thou sort of stuff about it where she's like, I didn't have a choice because like I was saving the world. But like, she did have a choice. And she very obviously also was getting something in return for the danger that being around Simon kept her in. So. Yeah, I don't think Penny would say that, tell her stuff that she's an adrenaline junkie, but there's, I, yeah, I think she's not as far away from Shepard's motivation as she thinks that she is. Yeah. Still on Shepard, where, where, where do you land on the question of, like, if his magic chasing is, like, an ethical hobby? I mean, I think it's still more ethical than Penny calls him out about being an explorer when she's like, we all know how that turned out. But it's like, I mean, he's not selling this information. He's like, he seems to be genuinely friendly with all of these and like all of these beings, these all these people that he's talking to. And he like brings people gifts. It seems like it seems like an equitable exchange of like friendship. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not like putting it all online like this is just him being like you know i think his i mean his motives are very much like he's just like i'm in it because this is fucking cool you know but no one's being hurt except for himself and no one seems to be being exploited or he's not doing it for profit so i'm kind of like yeah i think that too i mean i think there is always something like a little eh about like I'm seeking out this friendship because it's like novel to me but it seems like he like he leads with that so everyone all of these magical people who enter into friendships with Shepard know exactly why he's there he's like I am curious about you and I want to know about you and like yeah they make that agreement and if they didn't want to a lot of them could very easily just kill him so right yeah and it's not even the sort of like ethics of like he's doing like anthropological research which is like often its own sort of i think ethical minefield you know i feel like his genuine interest and like affection is 
I mean, I mean, I don't want to say like it's enough, but like, I feel like I feel like I could see the people that he's making friends with getting more out of it than even he is, you know. Mm. So it's like who, like who has the power in the situation? It's like not necessarily going to be Shepard, even though like if you're a sort of trapped river spirit near a near the dam, and it's sort of like your powers have been lessened, you know, it's still like it's not like. Shepard is in a like greater position of power because like he's a normal, you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, she yeah, blue straight up offered to to kill Baz and Petty and Simon. <laughs> so like I I think it stands to reason that she could also kill Shepard if she so chose. So. I mean, to be perfectly honest and bleak, I mean, Shepard has more to fear from the police driving to these places than he does from like the people that he is talking to. Yep so i mean penny i think is just feeling i think understandably defensive Mm -hmm. you know because like what's happening to agatha is probably like the like worst one of the worst nightmares of like any mage you know right yeah yeah i mean i do think that from a from Penny's perspective, as a magical creature who's been sort of saddled with Shepard and hasn't opted in, but I can understand why she has the position on on his whole deal that she has. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't start off super great. He did literally chase them into a dead zone full yeah. of were critters. So Yeah, yeah, not great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so my final Shepard point is this, like foreshadowing that we get about Shepard's soul where Penny is like help me with this spell like as long as you have a soul it'll be fine and it's like Shepard looked nervous and she's like come on Shepard and he's like okay and so it's like oh what's what's going on there which I wonder if the first time I read it if I was like what's going on there or if I just assumed that he was like nervous that she was doing magic with his soul I don't remember Okay, this brings up an interesting point because I didn't say this in my summary, but the spell to track Agatha doesn't work and Penny's like, oh, it's too far away. But I'm like, is it because Shepard sells his soul? (laughs) I wondered the same thing. Yeah. And he just couldn't be like, oh, I bet it was because a demon holds my soul. I mean, does he, he has his soul, right? He just can't like jeopardize it. Is that, is that correct? Wow, I don't remember the end of this book. Because he can't die? Is that what happens? He can't die. And he, like, that's why he's, like, immune to memory spells. Like, anything that might, like, mess up this contract. But it seems like his soul is still in his body. But it might not be able, it might not be available for, like, communing with other spirits because his fiancé seems like the jealous type right yeah and that and that and the magic of whatever ties that up might be enough to interfere with whatever magic especially if what is it kindred spirits like especially if that messes up with that spell where you're calling upon other spirits to help you so yeah i also wondered with that do you think baz would be able to participate in that spell i don't know i mean i guess it's hard to say like baz isn't a living corpse so to speak. So do vampires have their souls? Well, Baz is pretty sure that he doesn't have a soul, but Simon is pretty sure that Baz does have a soul. And I think that when we've talked about it before, we've been team Baz obviously has a soul, but 
he's pretty sure he doesn't. So, and obviously we just, we don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. And I mean, as we, and as we are learning here, there's a huge, there's like a Grand Canyon size gap of knowledge that Baz has about being a vampire. So. Right. He's like basing it on movies and TV shows probably. Right. Um, I mean, I think it would. It'd be a good way to find out if Baz has a soul at the very least. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Baz, there's a lot of chapters in this book where you just want to like gather Baz in your arms and like hug him really tightly. But this is like the biggest. You need a hug and a blanket for and I just so many things because he's going through this whole crisis of self essentially about being a vampire and maybe not being this sort of walking death monster that he has gone his whole post turning life thinking that he is right and it's especially with lamb with lamb and shepherd sort of being like oh you could just take a little sippy sip right (laughs) no one has to die and it's just like what right yeah this scene in the restaurant where his fangs have popped and lamb is like what the fuck like (laughs) i just you can feel 15 years of shame and trauma just oozing out of the pages of the book when you read that scene like it is heartbreaking yeah it's very it's a gay mood is i don't know why i just right because this thing is happening and lamb is like oh dear oh dear heart let me let's let's push the food to the side and let's take a minute to meditate and to help help you with this yeah which is so lovely and i'm glad i mean obviously lamb is kind of a shit (laughs) Uh, among other things. But it's just really nice to get this scene of someone who's like really seeing Baz and it's like, I'm also a vampire. Let, let's figure out how to deal with this thing. And like, no judgment, you know, which coming from this like older, cooler, suave vampire, he's just like, all right, it's fine. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> it's just yeah. like so touching. It is. And like, we knew that Baz didn't eat in front of people but had you realized previous to that this scene that that means that baz has not eaten in a restaurant since he was five years old it never had occurred to me that's so sad that's so many social moments and bonding opportunities with people that he's had to say no to because you know it's possible that he goes and is like i'm not hungry but if you do that enough times, people start being very worried about you. Right. Yeah. And not to mention the eight years of skipping every meal at Watford. Like, you go to a boarding school. Like, I mean, even if you're not at a boarding school, I mean, I want to say like half of any kind of hanging out interaction with people is while you're eating, you know? Right. I mean, he doesn't even eat with his family. He sits with them and then he eats alone in his room. That... That isolation, I mean, I guess I'm just realizing I've been doing my math wrong because the vampirism didn't kick in until puberty, but still, at least 10 years. Which is kind of even worse, because then you're like on the cusp of being like, man, I really want to hang out with my friends, without my family, 
and you're like cut off from like a good chunk of like where socialization happens you know right it's so sad i know so um even though it like takes them this long i'm really glad that lamb steps up to show a a fellow lost baby vamp as it were compared to however many hundreds hundred something years that lamb is to be like you don't have to be ashamed i don't know i know Baz is going to take Simon on so many ridiculously overpriced dinner dates as soon as they figure their shit out. Simon's going to be so (laughs) awkward and uncomfortable, but like, yeah, all right, babe, whatever you need. Absolutely. It's 12 course meal. Let's go. It's your dad's money. Okay. Simon's going to be annoyed because he's like having to wear like a button up and it's like, I look like a chump. And Baz is like, like I, in a bank. I'm like, I don't care. This restaurant is black tie only. You have to mm-hmm. wear a jack a jacket to come in here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lamb, Lamb is great in this chapter, especially because he ponies up so much exposition about the next blood folks who deeply suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like this dummy vampire is like these people are uncouth and are doing it all wrong (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean i feel it though i it makes sense to me i guess it is snobby but they're doing the thing where they're like removing something from its cultural context and saying that they have elevated it and acting like they made it, you know, when in fact vampirism is probably as old as humanity itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that regardless of the way that Lamb expresses his distaste, I think that it makes sense for him to feel like you can't just like you didn't make you didn't make vampires. We have we've been being vampires. We've been keeping this secret. We run an entire fucking town and no one knows that we're vampires. And now you're going to just turn all of your absolute shithead bros into fucking immortal beings and claim that you're you know better than the rest of humanity and absolutely not yeah exactly and snobbery aside i think lamb is correct which i also have a huge thing about it face the truth but it's like (laughs) i want to say that they were gentrifying vampire vampirism but it's actually their they're colonizing vampirism they are um in a way that i was trying to think of the exact quote from like i don't remember if it was like zuckerberg or some other like big tech bro oh man maybe it was the like the napster episode of you're wrong about where it's like go fast break stuff fail quicker whatever the whatever the ridiculous shit that tech bros say where it's like spend millions of dollars have this company, maybe it fails three months later. Who gives who gives a shit? Like right. let's do all this stuff. And then like no thought about the outcome, about what Uber or Facebook or Airbnb could do for American culture or politics. <laughs> Cause you're just like, you're not thinking about that. It doesn't matter. What are yeah. the long term? What's that? And especially Lamb is like, they've doubled the amount of vampires in San Francisco. And obviously San Francisco is a geographically small, pretty dense place, but that's a lot of fucking vampires to feed. Yeah. And for vampires that 
aren't connected slash reject any kind of traditional vampire culture, which I'm, which is built upon not fucking getting caught or right. staked, you know? Yeah. And they're just doing whatever. Yeah. Um, do you want to turn to face the truth and just keep going? I sure do. Cool. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up. Please continue. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in the U.S., I we're all very familiar with, like, how, say, Facebook went from Zuckerberg wanting to rate girls, how girls look from different colleges, to destroying our democracy as we know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because... Why would you ever think to limit yourself or to consider like long-term implications of what is happening? Uh, And that is essentially what new blood is doing. And uh, it's a threat for everyone to the vampires, to the normals who are just living their lives as potentially walking bottles of Soylent for these (laughs) bros to slurp in between coding shit. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think that it's so effectively summed up in the fact that Brayden refers to Agatha as eminent domain. And it's just like, look, we just have to violate you for the greater good get over it yeah and i mean why shouldn't he think that having gone to i'm sure an ivy league school built on the backs of black people who were enslaved and medically experimented on against their will so like so many things uh the the threat here is uh white supremacist colonizers (laughs) Yes, in a really we- in a really real way, um, just like uh, rich white tech bros who went to Ivy League schools, uh, who are ruining American culture in a lot of ways. Yep. <laughs> so, and, and I want to also connect to this to something that Penny says in her POV chapter mm-hmm. when she's like, "The reason, I mean, essentially, the reason that we're taught." mages are taught to never tell normals and to be worried about normals pointing out about magic is that we don't want to be grinded up and made into sausages which shepherd is like lol but for real but she's like no i mean elephants and rhinos are extinct because people think because normals think that they're magical and look at them now and so i had to google this because i'm just like actually even though i'm a bleeding heart animal person i actually was just like is that why people want ivory from elephants but penny's actually incorrect because uh colonialization and capitalism are why elephants and rhinos are extinct or <laughs> are, are, are not extinct are endangered aren't white rhinos are extinct in the wild at this point are they? Uh, as of a couple of years ago i think all right i mainly looked up elephants because i didn't want to go too deep in a rabbit hole and specifically african elephants because the ivory trade with asian elephants is like not as intense because african smaller tusks they have smaller tusks and only the males have tusks african elephants both the male and the females have tusks and it turns out that 
ivory trade has been a thing that's been going on for centuries, but it wasn't enough to destabilize elephant populations because of, I mean, limitations in trade route and that apparently it's really hard to kill an elephant without a gun, Mm. (laughs) like an efficient gun. And so when Europeans were colonizing Africa, like pre-20th century, connected with the slave trade, they were also exporting a lot more ivory than normal. But even this didn't actually really like destabilize the populations. It really is until the 70s, weirdly enough, where uh, Europe, North America, and Japan, for whatever reason, upped the consumption of ivory, mostly as a like status symbol of like wealth and like middle classness, which led to a like really like wild population decline. From 79 to 89, it was like over a million elephants illegally killed for ivory. Jesus. Which, and what also doesn't help this is that if Europe, if various European countries hadn't destabilized so many African countries that elephants had lived in, it wouldn't be a point where you're like paying very desperate people in these African countries to poach elephants for ivory that is worth like literally millions of dollars. (laughs) So even the theft of magic is less, and like this is basically what, and like now next is proving my point that it's like it's not really normals that are the threat to magic it's just white supremacist colonizers who want to take all the magic for themselves because they think that like i am the next evolution of people right look how fancy and wealthy i am with my ivory stuff you know yeah i'm really glad that you looked that up because i was like is that is that the reason i don't think that's the reason yeah i yeah i did my research in my research, there a little bit, there is a little bit of a like magical element into people in the past twenty years wanting ivory because for some reason it like went down in the like in like the nineties, but really like ramped up in the past like twenty years, like people's demand for ivory mainly in like China and Thailand and it's only U.S. on for whatever reason. I'm like That's so weird. What? <laughs> and a lot of it is just status symbol. Apparently, it's like, look, I can buy this like rare wealth, like this rare th- kind of like diamonds. Actually, exactly like diamonds, where it's like this thing that isn't worth anything, except that we decided that it's a status symbol, and now people who want to show off that they're not poor, they're like middle class or upper class, can buy it as like a status symbol. But it's like really bad for the people in African countries where those things are. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, because I'm just like, why would you buy ivory? I'm like literally like the Googling, like why do people buy ivory? I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> Especially, that's so weird that it's ramped up in the US recently because I feel like environmental and like animal conservation was such a like, like the issue that was sort of, I don't know, like the gateway for elementary schoolers to to learn how to have empathy for like the wider world in the nineties was was really like ecology focused. Right. It's you like know? elephants, pandas, and the rainforest, and you're just like, oh my god, we have to yeah. save those things. You know. Yeah, and it seems like those are the kids who now have grown up and are the people who are starting to like have the buying power to increase the demand for ivory, which is like, what, what happened? I mean, I guess, I mean, rich people do terrible things. I mean, I guess it's just like, cause I'm just like, I can't, 
I like I just like can't imagine like Ivy like looks cool fine but I'm like I mean even like diamonds are shiny you know like I'm just like there must be the, the magpie part of people's brains that are like look at this shiny rock but I'm like just just get fake ivory like who's gonna know <laughs> literally no right one. right yeah that's so weird yeah um I'm curious about about the rhino element because I know that with rhinos there is actually like demand I think for like powdered rhinoceros horn that at least in some way contributes to poaching yeah rhinos I was thinking this I was thinking the same thing about tigers too, but I ran out of time to do that research because I went like, <laughs> I was reading like a lot of like intense articles about like the ivory trade to be yeah. like, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. Um, it's not like sexy, sexy, but obviously we have to talk about the crush developing between Shepard and Penny. Yes, yes, we sure do. It's so charming. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. Penny trying to tell herself and us that it's like, oh, Shepard just has objectively nice hands. And I'm like, okay, but like. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. She's like, I never would have noticed if they weren't next to my terrible hands. That's the <laughs> only reason. Like, honey, chill out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we also have her being like, I'm chewing with my mouth open because there's no one here to impress. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, Penelope. <laughs> I love it. I love everything about it. Yeah, me too. Uh, we also have to talk about when Baz is like, why didn't you just you stay put to keep Simon in the hotel room? And Penny's like, don't bring your sex life into this. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, yeah, an acknowledgement of spells you could use during sex again. It's just always funny to be reminded. So, yeah, I love it. <laughs> like, I laughed out loud (laughs) so she says keep your sexual habits to yourself basil it's like rude (laughs) Uh, so good so good Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy where we talk about magic and science and magical science uh, we get some spells, mm-hmm. two spells, I think. One of them is not explicitly stated, but I think, obviously, we learn that Make It Rain is a spell that you can use to create $100 bills. Yeah. Joyful gesticulation, listeners, <laughs> is what is taking place between the two of us right now. <laughs> I love it so much because at first I was like, yeah, that really is in the lexicon. And then the other part of me is like, this is the, that's the funniest fucking spell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, and then we get kindred spirits, which we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And stay put, which we also literally just talked about. Right. Um, yeah. What do you have next? I only have two short things. Okay. Uh, so 
Baz describes Lamb as wearing a Tiffany blue three-piece suit, <laughs> which number one, I Googled, you can, in fact, if you Google Tiffany blue three-piece suit, there's a bunch you can buy on the oh, internet. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, and then for those that don't know, like Tiffany blue is like a kind of a like light Robin's egg blue that like the Tiffany company has been using for like their branding since literally 1895 <laughs> wow. is what I learned. Uh, and then in 98, they trademarked that color, which is like, how do you trademark a color? Fuck you guys. <laughs> but also, you can also just buy knockoff Tiffany blue colors also on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and then my last point is kind of gross. Sorry, everyone. Um, Baz gets his fang boner when like a pork dish arrives at the table. And uh, apparently pork and bacon smell very similar to cooked human flesh. Sorry. I think that's pretty common knowledge. Okay. I think, yeah. I mean, that's why it's in there that pork is, is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It's whenever, when yeah, whenever it's like talked about of like, what do people taste like? It's always like, they taste like pork. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. the other white meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we get a bunch of vampire information, such as your fangs don't have to pop when you eat, which, I mean, Baz never tried because he had no reason to assume that it was a choice. Yeah, and especially since he's like, my whole thing was just to sort of ignore and pretend this isn't happening anyway. It's like... It makes sense that if he is has some dysphoria about it, he's not going to think too hard about the mechanics of it. Right. Yeah, I like the physical description that we get of the feeling of having to control it. It sounds a lot like, I don't know, trying to use your non-dominant hand to do something where it's like the thing is something that you can do without really thinking about it if you're using your dominant hand. But as soon as you move your toothbrush or your pen to your other hand you're like how the fuck do i brush my teeth (laughs) like have i ever done this before yeah but a thing that with some practice you can accomplish yeah uh actually when i was when i was younger i was like what if i break my my right hand and i can't write so i tried to teach myself how to write with my left hand which is the handwriting is pretty atrocious but i can do it (laughs) that's funny because literally today i've been like made the decision three days ago i'm like i'm gonna start journaling again which i stopped doing like four years ago when i stopped being able to write without excruciating like ongoing pain um and so like yesterday i was like do to do journaling and then i was like my hand is completely fucked so today i was like i'm just gonna learn how to write with my left hand today is the day and it is truly atrocious and takes like 12 times longer but like eventually it won't Dr. Seuss learned how to draw with his left hand because his cat would fall asleep on his right hand. And he was like, I'm not moving you. <laughs> so... highly, highly relatable content for any person who's, who owns a cat. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that, that was, it was a really excellent kind of description about like what is going on. And like, yeah, it just, I don't know. It felt a little bit like sort of the like meditative techniques that people use for various reasons. Yeah. Also, Lan prefers calling vampires the Brotherhood. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretentious ass shit right there. Yeah. As a code word, it's a little goofy. 
makes sense to need a code word, but surely you could come up with something else. I mean, I guess it's better than the quiet ones or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then I guess we just mostly get other stuff confirmed that we've had sort of sprinkle sprinkled in uh, about, you know, not them not turning people and, you know, the fact that Baz is unwell because essentially he's anemic. I really appreciated that line. It's like, finally someone is realizing that Baz is in fact malnourished. Yeah. And that's why he's so gray. Yeah. It made me wonder because the the bellhop that or whatever they're called that brings the food is described as being chalk gray and then they're like maybe he's you know a new vampire and i was like oh they're probably right about that because otherwise why would he be gray it sounds like no one else is gray so yeah and i think maybe because we were talking about this whenever we recorded friday um i must like i mean couldn't you just get bags of blood from like a blood bank and be right. just sticking a straw in it like a capri sun I mean, yeah it's not hurting anyone yeah i mean it, I guess depending on if it's expired blood or fresh blood from right. It. If there's a national blood shortage, which it seems like there always is. Yeah, yeah, there sure is. Donate blood, everyone, if you can. Yeah. I mean, I guess, or unless the Red Cross says that you can't because you're gay. So, right. Which is still bullshit. Yep. Yeah. Do we get any other interesting vampire information? They have a culture. <laughs> that lamb is very annoyed that the next blood is just completely steamrolling over and i dare say revamping <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah all right cool we did it thank you everyone for listening to this episode of escape from reality next time we're going to be talking about chapters 51 through 53 you can find us on Instagram and Tumblr and Patreon and on our website and all the links are in the show notes. And until next time, scatamoosh! scatamoosh.